This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Ely on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! And Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is Nate Bucati, joined by the one and only Ali Trost for the hour today. No Carter Augustine today. We will plow through. Ali, uh, how are you today? I'm doing well, Nate. Just uh, trying to keep up with all the craziness in the soccer world going on. I know we'll get to some more of that later. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, doing well. No complaints. A little confused by the snow, but... Hey, weirder things have happened in April, I guess. Well, tectonic shifts in in the world of sports, the world of soccer, continue to happen. And as we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, all of a sudden teams are pulling out of the Super League. Uh, right when I got here to start recording this, it was Chelsea. I think I'm just seeing now coming across the wire that it's possible that Barcelona is going to pull out of this thing as well. Um, Atletico Madrid pulling out. So we'll see where this thing is heading. I think it's all going to collapse personally, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We could also get into maybe what our favorite superlative adjective is to describe a league. Because here in the, in the United States, of course, we have a major league. In England, they have a <laughs> premier league. Now there's a super league. Like, what's the best adjective you can have to describe how great your league is compared to somebody else's? Maybe we can get into that a little bit later. But coming up on the show, we're going to break down Sporting Kansas City's 2-1 come-from-behind victory at the New York Red Bulls in the opening week. We will preview the matchup against Orlando City coming up, the home opener on Friday night at Children's Mercy Park. And we're going to talk with the youngest goalkeeper to ever get a win as a Sporting KC player to, to play in a game. And the youngest MLS goalkeeper to get a win in, since 2010, John Polskamp, who's not as young as he was when he made that uh, appearance on Saturday, I guess none of us are, but he was 19 then. He's 20 now because he just celebrated a birthday this week. So he's going to join us on the show as well. So uh, you, look, you can look forward to that. And let's just start right there, Allie. 2-1 Sporting Kansas City over New York Red Bulls uh, and a depleted Sporting KC roster with all sorts of injuries going into that game, find a way to get three points in what is historically a very difficult place to get three points. Yeah, I think all in all a very impressive win. Of course, it wasn't always perfect or pretty at times. There are definitely some things that can be improved upon, and a lot of that I think will have to do with the cohesion of this group because, like you said, they were depleted. They were dealing with a number of different injuries. You saw a lineup that was without Alan Polito and Johnny Russell and Tamelia that you and Elie Sanchez, mm -hmm. just to name a few. And when you see that, that's usually cause for concern. But I think it was really impressive how this group, you know, were able to pull off a win, especially after going down a goal and then in such a short span of time, really getting things to click and got a little lucky with uh, that handball handball in the box that led to the Gotti Kinda PK. But then the goal, the buildup, Kyrie Shelton across the box, Daniel Shallowy, incredible run. I mean, that's the stuff that was really impressive to see. And Peter Vermees talked about it after the game. You know, it was rewarding for the coaching staff as well because they'd been working on, you know, those types of, of plays and that buildup all preseason long. And then to see it translate in game number one, I think was really exciting. And 
And look, this this was a depth win for Sporting Kansas City, which is really promising moving forward for all the reasons that it's great to have depth in Major League Soccer with numerous competitions throughout the year. Injuries, as we saw in 2019, can creep up and really change the game for a lot of teams. So I think that the sporting team has a very promising roster and you know future going forward in this this 2021 season plus John Lucabusio at the nine like what's going on here I mean we knew he was a quality player Vermees talked about it time and time again they can kind of put him anywhere because he's just so reliable and what he can offer but wasn't expecting to see him at the nine on uh on Saturday night yeah I thought he did fine but I, it's not where he belongs no. in my opinion I will say that I thought when he played the six last year he played that so well that I thought man does he belong there and Peter Vermees put me back in check and said, no, he, he belongs on a soccer field. He, he'll look good whatever position you put him in. But I felt like at the, at the nine, you know, he's, he's, he's being asked to do something that is not at the center of his strengths. I thought he did a pretty good job holding the ball up. All those things. Now I can't wait to see him actually get to play at the 10 as we uh, get into the season. When you mentioned the, the luck with the handball, certainly it was uh, not an intentional situation. They did catch a little bit of a break there, but I think that is also a result of making your own luck because, as you said, after they gave up the goal, they were in and around the penalty area in dangerous situations for 10 straight minutes mm -hmm. before that happened, and you're bound to have a ball bounce your way when you're in those dangerous spots. And let's be honest, neither team, was really in that situation in the first half. Not a shot on goal from either team. Maybe feeling each other out a little bit and also maybe learning their teams a little bit because it was the first game of the season. But once they got going into the second half, the action started flying. Now, the big story for me is the match winner because it's Daniel Shallowy. I don't care how we got it. I don't care how difficult or easy the finish was. The guy hadn't scored a goal since September of 2019. He lives to score goals. That's what he cares about. He led the team in goals in 2018, and it's been a rough go ever since. For him to get that goal on the first game of the season, who knows where it takes you, but you've got to love that being the way he starts off the 2021 campaign. I think it's going to be so critical, and we'll look back on the season, and who knows, maybe that's his only goal of the season. I don't think that will be the case, but just seeing how snake bitten he was at times over the last couple of seasons and how difficult it was that 2019 season, he didn't score a goal. His only one of that season until September. I mean, coming off of a season where he was the leading goal scorer. So for him to have that confidence right at the start of the season and something for him to build off. I mean, he was buzzing in post game and just watching mm -hmm. like you couldn't wipe that smile off of, off of his face with anything, but you know, he did talk about, and I thought it was really interesting, the confidence, you know, someone asked him, asked him a question about, hey, how good does it feel to have that confidence from your coaching staff and from your manager and Peter Vermees? And I, they've always believed in him. A lot of media fans have really been down on him for good reason over the last couple of seasons, but they they stuck true to you know what they believed in and what his abilities were. And I think that's just a product, that game and that result and that goal for him, that game winner, uh, you know, a, a result of really solid preseason training and being able to mentally stay in it after two really draining, you know, seasons for for the young striker or young forward. Okay, so let's uh, let's hear a little Zoom action here after the game. Peter Vermees talked about Daniel a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, and Peter Vermees talked about Daniel Shallowy's performance and that goal, but wasn't all too surprised because of the preseason that Shallowy had. Here's PV. It doesn't surprise me because he's been doing so well in, in preseason. You know, he came in, great mentality, fit, worked. He's worked on both sides of the ball. Like I said earlier, 
Um, his movement off the ball was tremendous today. I thought he caused a lot of problems for the right back because he was just getting in behind them and he was putting them under pressure. And um, there's no doubt that in my, my mind that Dan, Daniel has all those all those aspects that that go with the game. And um, I'm very happy that he got the goal tonight because uh, it was it was a great. As I said earlier, you guys heard me say it was a magnificent goal. Um, just the build up, the way we got there, uh, we work on that stuff pretty regularly. So to see that happen is is uh, you know pretty rewarding, even for the coaching staff. All right, so there's Peter Vermees, and you can see he he believes in Daniel Shallowy. That's why he's still here. That's why he's in the starting lineup on opening day, even if it's also because a little bit of an injury situation there. I think my read on Daniel too, though, is a guy that. As I said, he defines himself as as whether or not he's scoring goals. And I feel like if he gets goals, then the rest of his game improves as well because he feels like he's helping the team. He feels good about what he's doing out on the field. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, for him, that's a big part of his confidence. Like you said, he kind of defines himself as that kind of player. But it's good to also have the confidence of your teammates and of your coaching staff. And, you know, he was also asked, because after the game you could see on the broadcast all the guys kind of coming around him and – and I think they knew just as, as much as he knew how important that goal was for him. And, and for sporting, it was even sweeter just because it was the game winner. But, you know, after the game, he did talk about the confidence, not just from his teammates, but from the coaching staff and how important that is uh, going into this season. Yes, you know, um, I want to thank them. This is uh, great for me. Uh, I think you always need uh, the coach's uh, faith in you because he's the one who puts you on the field. and. Uh, I kind of can thank myself as well, the, the way I worked in the offseason and uh, preseason mentally and uh, just, you know, doing everything I can to uh, find myself back on the starting 11. And sometimes uh, just hope, uh, as I said, that these uh, moments come that you can score and then uh, get away with the win. So this is this is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and uh, can't wait to play the next game and the next one and uh, keep progressing. So confidence for Daniel Shallowy as he gets the match winner in game one. And then it was interesting, the two goal scorers, Gotti Kingdom from the penalty spot and then Daniel Shallowy were the two players subbed off for Alan Polito and Johnny Russell. Johnny Russell wears the captain's band. Alan Polito is the most expensive player on the team. Those guys came out and helped close the game down for Sporting KC. And it's got to be a good sign just to see them in the game, which should mean that they're getting closer and closer to being 90 minutes match fit. Yeah, absolutely. And and even better to know that, like we talked about, this team does have the depth so that if those guys aren't ready to go for a full 90 minutes and can only go for 30 or, or 20 minutes, then they can rely on the Daniel Shallowies and other young players and, and other players that don't see a lot of minutes to come in and, and get the game won. And then you have those guys go in and close it out. And Peter Vermees talked about the importance of Polito and Russell specifically in their experience in helping close out that match. When those two guys came on the field, obviously they give us experience. It's, it's, it's on top of what they can do, but it's just experience late in the game. And then, yeah, the hold up play was tremendous by uh, Allen Johnny put them under pressure, and now they got to think differently um, in the game. All right, great to see Johnny Russell and Alan Polito and some of the other players step in and help Sporting KC close out that game in New York. They get a 1-0, I'm sorry, a 2-1 victory over uh, the New York Red Bulls, and they have three points, and they are now coming home to take on Orlando City on Friday night. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with John Pulskamp. 
19-year-old at the time, goalkeeper for Sporting KC, who got the dub in his MLS debut. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. And as always, we are presented by Michelob Ultra. Find yourself a, uh, a delicious Michelob Ultra today if you can. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And a man who just got one year closer to being able to legally enjoy a Michelob Ultra uh, is celebrating his 20th birthday this week. John Pulsecamp joins us on the show now. Hey, John, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. So what did you do for your birthday, man? <laughs> uh, went out to dinner with, with some of the guys, some of the, some of the teammates, uh, grab some dinner but nothing much nothing much did they sing happy birthday to you they, they sang happy birthday to me there they were they were good they were good so like the the running joke um around everybody i've seen at sporting kc over the past like year and a half uh anytime your name has come up so i'm sure you've heard it because if i've heard it from every person i've met out there or seen out there then you have too is there's no way that guy's nine. Back then, it was. There's no way that guy's 19 years old. He looks like he's 35. Do you get that all the time from the guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's, that's been something I've been hearing for a while now. Um, and and yeah, it's no different here. But so Ali and I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I was gonna say Ali and I cannot identify at all because I think we were both no. the kids that were 19 years old, looking like we were 12 or 13. I still look like I'm 12 or 13 to some people. <laughs> um, I know this is radio; no one can see me, but that should just give you an idea. John, at what age did you like realize that you just looked way older than the rest of the kids? Because I have a brother like that, and at one point, he's four years younger than me. But he and then my middle brother, we looked like triplets. Yet I was four years older than yeah. the youngest one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I've always been tall, so the height, the height came early, uh, and, and really, really it's just the facial hair. I think, yep. Yep. I think, I think underneath that I, I still have a bit of a baby face or, or at least I did. Um, but, but the facial hair came early as well. And, and that just, that just made me look a lot older than, than I think I was. I mean, that was probably eighth grade. <laughs> so gosh i can't even imagine i i had bare armpits in eighth grade by the way let alone let alone facial hair um i i'm actually like really thrilled that in my 40s actually going into my 30s i was finally able to grow like a full beard like a nice full beard which was just a complete fantasy to me like all the way through high school i kind of appreciate that you lean into that is that part of the reason for the beard like let everybody know like i might you know make it so that you look like a grown ass man, no matter how old you are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of it. That, and it's, it would just be a pain not having it. Um, it'll it'll grow back in like a day. So I don't, I don't think I want to shave every Dude, day. You're just rubbing it I in like now, it. man. Okay. Well, I'm curious because I know just from witnessing a couple of quarantine beards of family members or my significant other, um, how wild some of those got. So did you go with a quarantine beard? And if so, how big did the quarantine, or did you keep it pretty trimmed during the entire quarantine? Uh, I, I think I, I think I kept it pretty trimmed. Uh, at one point uh, in Florida last year during the MLS's back tournament, uh, I let it go. I let it go pretty big. 
Um, but, but I think that was that was about as thick as it got. Not, nothing too too out there. So no Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm thinking Florida. I'm thinking <laughs> no, like braids no, no and beads, little Johnny Depp action. <laughs> Well, it's something to think about for the future. Yeah, just consider it. This uh, this segment yeah, of, yeah. Uh, of of facial hair grooming brought to you by uh, <laughs> we're talking with John Polskamp, and I promise we're not going to talk just facial hair the entire time with you. Hey, congratulations no, sure. on the on the win, man! I, I it was really great for me. I got a chance to spend some time getting to know you a little bit last week leading up to the game, uh, which which honestly helped me appreciate watching you out there play more because I felt like I knew you as a guy a little bit and. And some of your story, what maybe personally was was most significant for you in terms of just getting that first MLS appearance, getting that win? Um, what what maybe stood out to you the most about just what you were able to accomplish this past weekend? For sure, for sure. I, I think the biggest thing is definitely just the fact that we won, um, and in the fashion that we won, coming back uh, in the second half down one nil. Um, that was kind of just the icing on the cake for the whole debut um, going into that game. I, re- I really wanted to win, obviously. I mean, going into every game you want to win, but, but that one in particular, I just, I just thought, you know, it's your first game getting, getting the three points here would, would definitely make it, you know, just as, as good as, as good as it could be. And, and I was trying not to let those thoughts get to me too much because obviously the result isn't completely, in my hands and I could only do my part to, to help the team. So I, I, I just kept trying to remind myself, like, don't worry about the result. Just do your job. Just just do your job to help and, and the result will come. Um, but, you know, just in the back of my mind, <laughs> deep down, you, you really just want to walk away from your debut with three points. Well, like you mentioned, it was your debut. And after the game, I was shocked to hear that you were not nervous at all going into the game. And I was like, I'm calling BS because this <laughs> this guy had to be a little bit nervous. What did you do to maybe kind of push those nerves to the back of your mind and just stay present in the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say nervous. I, I mean, I was definitely buzzing. I was definitely, you know, stoked for the moment for the game, um, but I wasn't nervous in in the way that you know I was had any doubt or asking myself negative questions it was all kind of a positive feeling the few you know maybe butterflies i had were were very positive it was more excitement uh would be would be the word i would use um and yeah i think i think i i achieved that just by i remind you you remind yourself i i remind myself i literally talk to myself and 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 just remember that i've prepared for this and this was an opportunity that I've waited uh, and wanted for for a long time, and it's something I literally would stay up at night dreaming about and thinking about. And the fact that it kind of happened, I, I just told myself, I'm, I'm not going to let you know nerves ruin the moment. I'm not going to let nerves get in the way of this. Like this is something I've wanted for so long, and now it's happening. Take advantage of it. Just do it, and and knowing that I was ready. So, and once again, we're visiting with John Polskamp, goalkeeper for Sporting Kansas City, got the win over the weekend against the New York Red Bulls. And you told me last week when I asked you about what you liked about playing goalie was you, you told me you liked the pressure. You liked the fact that when you make a save, you get to take the credit. But also when you mess up, uh, you know, you have to take the blame and you like having that responsibility. Um, 
I have to admit, John, that that thought was going through my mind when you had a little bit of a nervy moment in the first half of the game when Fabio put you under pressure and you kind of had to just get rid of it at the last second before something happened. Um, look, that happens to goalkeepers, and you got to have the confidence to play with your feet and all that. But uh, what was your heart racing when that moment happened, or were you just like, hey, you know what, no big deal, got it out of danger, no problem? What was going through your mind at that moment? Um, yeah, yeah. Afterwards, it, it was fine. I knew I, I dealt with it. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely the one, one moment in the game I, I wanted back. Um, yeah, I, I was just kind of caught in two minds of, of my decision. Uh, I was thinking about playing Luis. He wasn't quite as wide as I initially thought. And then by the time I kind of went away from that decision, the, the ball was, the ball was underneath me. And, and no, I, I, I just knew as soon as it was rolling that, okay, this is where we're at. Just deal with it. So I actually let it roll a little bit so I can kind of run onto it a bit more and, and, and try to get it out uh, with my left foot. So, John, you talked a lot, you know, after the game about how much Tamelia has just meant, you know, so far in your career, especially with Sporting Kansas City, the advice he's given, just helping you, not just leading up to this game, but since you've, you know, been a part of the Sporting Kansas City system, just helping you and helping you grow and progress as a goalkeeper. You know, I'm curious what your conversation was like with him after the game. Did you get a chance to talk to him via text or call or, or maybe at, tra- you know, the next training session? Yeah, yeah. He he texted me immediately after just, just congratulating uh, me and the team on the win. Um, and then I was able to catch up with him a bit more today. Um, it was actually good to see him. He's He's progressing nicely uh, with his injury. But yeah, just just talking and and n- nothing real detail. Just you know, keep it going and just just keep keep playing with that confidence and and get another win. And hopefully, we do that against Orlando. And we're visiting with uh, John Polskamp as uh, Sporting will be taking on Orlando City six thirty on Friday night. You can get your tickets at SportingKC.com. Uh, all right, John, I- I'd like to let our listeners get to know you a little bit uh, with some of the great stories that uh, that you had told me. Um, and, man, boy, you come from a long line of athletes, don't you? I mean, you really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my, my family's definitely had their, their, their own successes uh, in, in sport, and, the, and it's something I take, take a bit of pride in, and and kind of think about myself uh, when, you know, when I'm working out and when I'm doing my thing. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to, to kind of have that available and, and they, they can understand uh, and relate to a certain degree the positions I'm in and, and what I'm going through uh, in my own competition. So my understanding is, according to Nate, I, we found a photo of, is it your grandfather who was a, a professional, like, it was a heavy lifter? I, I really don't know the term, so I'm. He was an Olympic weightlifter. An Olympic weightlifter. Um, does like just if we're going down the line of, of athletes, what would you say is maybe the most unique um, sports accomplishment of the Pulse Camp family? Or are you living it? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's probably that. Um, he he's a my my grandpa. He's He's a, a very successful man, and, and part of his success was was in, in sport with with weightlifting. He, I believe, he won the, the United States championship, earning his spot uh, 
on the Olympic team, and he went to the Rome Olympics. I believe the year was 1960, but I need to double-check that. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the one. I mean, can't 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 get much better than, than the Olympics. I believe he placed fourth um, representing the United States. So, so that's something that definitely I take pride in. I, I know my entire family does, and, and something I, I think about a lot. Okay, so I, I after you told me that, I just had to get on the old Google machine and and type in Pulse Camp weightlifter, and it came up a John Pulse Camp who was born in 1935. You know, represented the United States in the Olympics in Rome, as you said. So that that's him, right? John Pulse Camp is that his name? Yeah, it's who, it's who I'm named after. So I was just about to ask that: Are you a you're not a second or a third? You're you're just you were named after your grandpa. I was named after my grandpa. Yes. Are you guys close? Yeah, yeah, he actually, so interesting, my parents are one of eight, and uh, or my dad is, is one of eight, and most of his siblings kind of dispersed, uh, but he stayed in, in our hometown and actually lived just down the street from my grandpa, so growing up, I was down the street from, from him, um, and luckily got to grow up around him and and be very, very close, and I would run over to his house and, and chat with him all the time. So did he try to get you into weightlifting? When did you get into uh, goalkeeping specifically? Because I, I still think about often how Kendall McIntosh said that he was kind of a psycho kid growing up, which is what led him to goalkeeping. So I'm curious for you where your journey to hang that on, kind of started. Hang on, Allie, because this is a great story too, but I want you to explore this uh, thing about your grandpa trying to get you into weightlifting too. And did your grandpa walk around like lifting heavy objects just to show off to you like how strong he was all the time? <laughs> Like, watch me lift this television, son. You know, anything, anything like that? Yeah. Um, um, now, uh, you know, I, I'm the youngest uh, of three, but also one of the youngest of all my cousins on my dad's side. Uh, so, so by the time I was running around, he, he was quite older. Um, but he never really, never really tried to get us into weightlifting. Um, he did gift us, actually, his his training weights or his personal set of weights that he trained with. Um, so to this day in my garage back home, I have these kind of vintage old uh, classic set of weights that, that me and my family use as kind of our home gym. Um, but they're kind of these cool, cool old pieces. Um, but yeah. And then to answer your question, Allie, very similar to Kendall. Uh, it was very early, very early. I started playing soccer and it was very early in my soccer career that, that I kind of settled in goal for those same reasons. Um, you know, being the youngest of three boys, I was kind of a wild child growing up, just <laughs> running and diving around. And, and my older brothers would kind of force me into goal. And, and I liked it and I gravitated towards it. And I had no problem rolling around in the mud and throwing myself and landing and painful positions or whatever it was. I, I was kind of a, a tough, wild kid so it just kind of worked out naturally um to the point where growing up my dad used to have to force me out of the goal to play more on the field and I would always be like no I just want to play in the goal like I don't I want so 
So it was pretty early that I that I would classify myself as a goalkeeper. Well, your household sounds a lot like mine growing up, just for the record. I have three younger brothers, and when I tell you it was an animal house, it quite literally was. Every sport under the sun, yeah. black eyes, stitches, I mean, ruthless kids, let me just tell you. Um, you know, yeah. having two older brothers, I, I always think, you know, family and, and how, you know, siblings kind of help. I guess, you know, make each other better in a lot of ways. How did your older brothers help make you the, you know, the goalkeeper you are today and now uh, the professional soccer player that you are today? Oh, 100%. I, I owe both of them a ton for, for helping me along the way. Just, I mean, they were both players, so playing in our backyard, playing at the park, they they would always be, you know, dragging me out there if I didn't want to go, but if I wanted to go and they didn't, I would drag them out. So there was always one of the three that wanted to. And if one of us wanted to, then all three of us had to. So <laughs> it kind of forced me to just constantly be playing. And I think that helped them as well. But, but they really helped me uh, in that way. And then a lot too, just kind of the structure, just helping by being first. You know, they kind of went through the process before me. So by the time it was kind of my turn to do it, my parents knew how things worked. We knew how academy and club and, and all of this different stuff uh, kind of functioned. So I think my brother, my oldest brother especially, was was almost a bit of a guinea pig with different things on what, what works and what doesn't. So by the time it was me, I kind of had this this fast track path of this is this is what we should do to, to further your career along. Man, I'll tell you what, now that I'm a father of three, you are so right about what you learn with the first kid. And it's, and it's everything, but the, the world of club sports is a, is a new phenomenon to me. It just didn't, in the communities that I grew up in, it didn't exist. You played for your school teams and, and volunteer coaches, and um, I, it's been a real eye-opener for me to watch that whole situation. And I feel like now with my, my second two kids, I have at least some sort of an idea of what the landscape is. Not that my kids are going to be big-time athletes. They, they don't have seven and eight aunts and uncles who are Division One athletes like you, but it's, it is interesting to learn all that stuff, John. Um, and, and speaking of that, let's go to your journey a little bit because, okay, you, you, you first started off in the L.A. Galaxy Academy system, um, moving from Bakersfield to L.A. Then you go to Bournemouth to try to get on there, and it doesn't work out because of visa issues and all that, and then you end up in Kansas City. Take me back to, to L.A., what was it like going from Bakersfield to as a, as a young teenager? How old were you, and what was life like doing that, making that decision to join the uh, the LA Galaxy Academy? Yeah, so so that was a very interesting point in my life, um, and that actually that whole process started before I even went to LA officially. I was fourteen, going on fifteen. Uh, I was representing the United States with the youth national team system in the youth national team system. Um, and I was playing very well for just the, the local academy system and different showcases and things. Uh, and I grabbed some attention of various MLS academies, one of which was actually sport in Kansas city. Uh, the old academy goalkeeper coach, uh, he's not with the club anymore, but Gavin uh, had contacted me and, I talked to him quite a bit. There were some other teams interested as well. Um, but ultimately, it came down to the Los Angeles Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders. I had actually spent quite a bit of time in Seattle, 
training with them, supposed to play with them as as a guest player. Um, and and I was ready. I was, I think, like I said, I was probably just recently turned 15, and I was trying everything to convince my parents to let me move to Seattle. And I was like, I'm ready. This is the next step for me. I want to go to Seattle. Well, I was supposed to play in a tournament with with the Seattle's academy, uh, and then hope to officially sign as an academy player and, and start that uh, when I broke my wrist. Um, I broke my wrist, had surgery, couldn't go to the tournament. And in that whole process, uh, my parents were reluctant to, to let me move out, you know, up north to Seattle. And through lots of family arguments, uh, they convinced me to, to stick around for one more year. Um, and that they would drive me down to the, I guess, next closest academy because my local team didn't have academy for the U16 age. They only had the U14 academy. So they said that they would drive me down to uh, a club at the time, Real SoCal. They said, just give us one more year, um, and you will, we'll drive you down, and you could still play academy. And then after this year, then you can make your choice of what club you want to go to. So we did that for one year, and I played for Real Socal, had a, had a very good time there. And immediately after that, uh, I was in contact with the Galaxy and ended up joining L.A. from there. Uh, and then that's when I officially moved out uh, to, to live in L.A. full time. I think I just turned, I think I was 16 at the time, like recently turned 16. Um, so went down to L.A., uh, on my own officially for the first time. And, and it, it, that, that was the, the biggest thing for me. That was, I think the biggest turning point uh, in my career thus far, just going out early, being, being alone, but then just kind of being surrounded by other guys and then kind of just figuring it out was, was really important for me. And, and I think I grew a lot as a player, but especially off the field, just learning how to tough things out and, and really just kind of becoming a man. It's interesting to hear that you were really the one advocating uh, to, you know, go, you were like, I'm ready, mom and dad, let me go. I, I can handle this. Cause I feel like sometimes uh, in these situations, you do hear a bit more of like the parents who are like trying to like push their kid to go and, you know, but you were right there with them. Like you were like, I'm ready to kind of do whatever. Uh, is that like a little bit of the wild child in you just kind of ready for whatever um, to make this dream of playing professional soccer reality? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think I've always kind of had an, an independent side to me. I've, I've always been very independent and just very, very driven and motivated. So even at 14, 15, you know, I'm, I'm thinking five years ahead, thinking, you know, I want to be a pro soccer player. I want to do this, and I'm going to do anything to make that happen. And in my eyes, that was like a no-brainer. That was like, this is what I have to yeah. do to, to, to make my dreams come true, and and my parents were just telling me to, you know, tap the brakes a little bit, but, but in the end, it worked out. We're visiting with John Polskamp, and uh, gosh, I'm, I'm luckily I'm not going to be forced with this challenge or faced with this challenge, but I don't think I'd want my kid to go. <laughs> I wasn't going to stay <laughs> yeah. here until you're done with high school, kiddo, and then get out of the house. Um, it's, it's, I can imagine that's a tough spot for your folks, but hey, look at it now. Um, and, and are they going to be able to come? to the home opener in Kansas City. I know it's not easy for them, especially with the pandemic, to get out here and watch. Uh, when, when are they going to get to watch John Polskamp play in person again? 
Uh, yeah, no. Thankfully, thankfully they are. They're they're going to come out and, and see the Orlando game. So it'll it'll be nice to see them and and for them to see me play. Uh, just one last thing about you know your transition from the California. You know you played all over California, and then you come to Kansas City. Are they ready for a? I mean, it's not going to snow hopefully after what we <laughs> saw today. Uh, how was the Cali transition to the Midwest? And as you got to see uh, <laughs> on this fine uh, Tuesday in April, in late April, a little snow shower. <laughs> yeah, the, the weather today threw me threw me for a loop for sure. Um, but I, I've transitioned well. Like, like I've said, I, I've kind of been all over, and I've always been pretty independent. So I, I can adjust pretty well uh, to wherever I am, thankfully. Um, and as soon as I came out here, met some good people, made some good friends, um, and, and kind of just fell in love with the club. So so that made it a lot easier of living here. Um, if all the other aspects of my life were, were going really good, then – I think I could have been just about anywhere and, and, and been real happy. So, so Casey's Casey's been good to me. Casey's grown on me quite a bit, and and now now I just love it here. Well, certainly those of us that have been here for a while are, are certainly uh, incredibly happy to hear you say that. We love having you in Kansas City, John. Uh, congratulations on uh, on all of the milestones that you accomplished this past weekend. I know it's just the beginning for you. Happy birthday. Thanks for the time, and uh, and good luck on Friday night. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on, and, and definitely looking forward to Friday's match. All right, that is uh, John Pulskamp, grandson of John Pulskamp, weightlifter, by the way, as well. Now, next time we're going to have John actually, like, we're going to see how many heavy objects he can lift, you know, just randomly uh, when this we have him on the show. This is a free video series yeah. idea for Sporting Kansas City. I know you guys are listening. You're welcome. <laughs> He's already bragged enough there about his facial hair. Oh, I have to shave every day, you know. No, even better, <laughs> Nate and John are in a competition who can lift the most, like, I don't know. I do have. I do say this, I got my dad's strength. You know, I, I'm, I'm stronger than all the other Nate, males in my house. True. That's very true. <laughs> I'm very not going to take on John in any weightlifting activities whatsoever. What about a beard growing competition? You know what? At this stage in my life, I might be able to hang with him, but it's going to be a lot of gray hair on that beard. Uh, all right, John, we'll talk to you later, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, John. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. That's John Pulskamp. What a great sport, too. We'll, we'll uh, be back after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show, presented by Michelob Ultra. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. All right, we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. On your home for Sporting Kansas City, Sports Radio 810 WHB, we are presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Uh, Ali Trost with me here as we had a great conversation with John Pulskamp. And the whole time... We've been doing this show today, and we're taping this on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, and I'm pointing that out because every time we refresh Twitter uh, <laughs> while we're doing this show, more teams are pulling out of this newly formed, or announced anyway, European Super League as uh, Manchester City is now being reported to, to be pulling out Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. Chelsea was the first one to withdraw their name. As, uh, as an Arsenal fan, I'm, I'm asking the question now, if uh, Arsenal are the last team to withdraw, does that mean they win the only ever Super League? Because that seems to be the only way Arsenal can win a European trophy. And, uh, and by the way, contemplating my fandom as an Arsenal fan going forward because Stan Kroenke has already sucked much of the life out of me. <sighs> 
And uh, this step, I just don't know if I can support one of these teams. If this thing, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to crumble. But Nate, Allie, you know what was interesting? What's going to happen here? I have no idea what's going to happen because every time I get on Twitter, something new is happening. <laughs> but I do think it is likely that this thing does crumble to the ground and fall apart. And I was so close, let me tell you, so close to finally just putting aside whatever grievances I had with Stan Kroenke to become an Arsenal fan, support all my great Arsenal friends, support my fiance who's an Arsenal fan, and then this thing happens. And it's like, I just don't know <laughs> if I can do it. I don't know if I can do I, it. I've been trying, I've been putting the, the full court press on you to be, to like <laughs> announce your allegiance for Arsenal. Uh, and and now I, I just, I can't do that anymore because I'm not sure where I stand on, on this whole thing. But it's funny because I, when, when, it, when the news started coming out, uh, talking with my buddies, I, I said, look, I might be naive, but I just – I don't think this can work because there are too many clubs in the world that love soccer and that are ingrained in it, that have been around for over 100 years, that have too much money riding on it. And if I'm all those other clubs, I would refuse to participate in anything these teams do. Mm -hmm. And while these teams are the biggest, baddest economic drivers in the world of soccer – I believe their brands would be vastly diminished if they took themselves out of the world's game. And I know that one of the conversations that comes up with this is the idea that one of the reasons that most of us hate this idea of a Super League so much is it gets rid of the concept of having to play your way into the Champions League and the idea that your team could reach that level someday, even if it's, let's be honest, there's not a ton of parity in European soccer. Um, and, and people say, well, look at MLS. They don't have pro rel i get that we could have that conversation about pro rel someday but you still have to win something in mls to get into the Concacaf champions league mm -hmm. to give yourself a chance at playing in the club world cup and to me when i look at this one of the things that mls really had to do that, that to me one of the decisions they made that that actually jump-started the entire league from what looked like was going to be a failed experiment to the thriving league that it is and growing league that it is now was when they decided to join the world. When they decided to stop doing all this stuff to Americanize soccer and distance themselves from the world of soccer, when they decided to get involved in the world. And if these 12 clubs want to pull themselves out of the rest of the world, the rest of the world will pass them by in my opinion, and I think that's why you're seeing these teams start to pull out now. That's my opinion. Well, and there, we saw all of the different threats, I guess, against the Super League mm -hmm. that would keep, that would isolate them further. And so I, t to me, like this entire just timeline, I mean, and everything that's transpired, it's like, how was this ever approved to see the backlash and, and everything that is, has come, you know, the fallout that's happened? It's like, how was this ever approved in the first place if it's now crumbling so quickly and so short you know short of a time after this even came out as news it's it's a couple it's either it's either just blind arrogance by the owners of these these teams that are so wealthy and so successful and and never put that past yeah them by the way uh, so it could just be blind arrogance it also is possible that this whole thing was like a trial balloon to see where it went and then we have something else similar but not as nefarious later. You know, what the, finding out what they can get away with. How can they mm -hmm. pull this thing off? And I would, I would not count that out either. I don't know where this thing is going to head, but I believe that whatever type of – because there's been conversations of Super League going for a long time. Like, hey, let's take the top teams from each one of the, the big European clubs and have them play like all season long against each other instead of 
you know, playing in their little domestic leagues and then coming together for this this tournament format, which mm-hmm. is basically the Champions League. Yeah, I could see something like going that going on down the road, but there's to me there there if there's not some mechanism for getting into it or or falling out of it, it doesn't really work with the world of soccer. I just think that's the case. And again, I said maybe I'm naive. Maybe they will work something like this out, but. Um, I just think, it, you know, it's one thing. These are a lot of American owners, by the way, that are doing yep. this. They came up in American sports where those leagues were founded on those principles. Mm-hmm. This situation's already been set in motion for over 100 years. To change that all, I don't know. I, I hope and don't think they can pull that off. You could do it in MLS because there wasn't a league here. Yeah. But to try to do that in those other parts of the world, I think that's, I don't I, know. We'll have to find out what that dollar amount is because I guess <laughs> what we've learned in, in many different areas of life is that money can buy you something or, you know, there is a price for everything. But I, I do think that the way that this has created I think there's a lot of truth to what you said in that this could even if it does dismantle and fall apart that doesn't mean that down the line we don't see something a maybe more watered down version of what was proposed with the Super League because I do think there's a lot of truth to what you just said there gonna be fascinating to see where this thing heads and how it affects I mean look this this could be a seismic shift in in the world of sports literally the world of yeah. sports the, the the word world gets thrown around a lot in American sports when all it really means is American yeah uh, and we're talking about the world of sports being yeah, changed the Chiefs by are this. the world champions but don't play <laughs> any team that's not based in yeah America. it's not a global competition but we call ourselves World Series champs anyway yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's what we do um, but but this one genuinely is, is a world issue it's going to be interesting to see where it heads all right, Allie, let's get ready for the home opener. 6.30 on Friday at Children's Mercy Park against Orlando City. Um, and first of all, just going to be great to get back in that stadium with even more fans than we had during the pandemic and hopefully more and more as the season goes on. What are you most excited about for Friday night? Just uh, first, the atmosphere. Like mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, I, and it, it's hard because last season there was so much excitement. You know, Children's Mercy Park undergoes some great new renovations. There's just the season started off so hot and so strong. It's also coming off of, you know, acquiring Alan Polito in the offseason, Gotti Kina. There was just so much momentum, and then the pandemic hit. And I do feel like the Sporting Kansas City team is very exciting. There's a lot that fans are excited about with this team, and especially coming off of that road win against, you know, the Red Bulls. I think that's going to uh, I set the, the tone for what's hopefully going to be a really exciting and more normal season. But first things first, I'm just pumped for the atmosphere. I'm excited to see a second game. From John Pulse Camp, you know, just really great talking with him earlier and just getting more people back at CMP is going to be really fun. And, and you know what? I don't even know what this lineup's going to look like because after what we saw, and there were some surprises to me at least uh, on that opening lineup against the Red Bulls. So I'm excited to see who Vermees runs out there and, and what this team's got against a great Orlando team, but will likely be without a couple of key players. Yeah, Pato suffered an injury. He's one of the big acquisitions for. Orlando City in, in their first game against Atlanta United, so we don't know what his status is going to be. Uh, that's a big name to possibly be out because when you look at this Orlando City team, I thought it was really interesting. They played to a nil-nil draw against Atlanta United, and watching that game, um, they they were home. They didn't create hardly any chances in the first half of that game. Um, and when you look at the attacking power, you're talking about Nani, Mueller, Pato, all up top, and you think, okay, 
they're going to create a lot of chances. They didn't necessarily do that in week one, so it's going to be interesting to see what they bring to the table in week two because, like you said, they were a really good team last year. Well, in, in that game, too, like in the second half against Atlanta, they did try to stretch Pato a little bit further up the field to create more as that nine, and they were starting to see more productivity. But if he's not available this game, then they have mm-hmm. to go back to the drawing board. They've still got great pieces, like you said, Nani Mueller. They're, they are a team that can score goals and, and has – a lot of high expectations riding on them this season after what they were able to do last season under Oscar Pareja, Oscar Pareja in his first season as coach for this team. So a really talented team. You can't look past them, but those two injuries I think are going to be key for them. Or injury and a suspension for um, for Mauricio Pareja. Yeah, and so I think for Sporting KC, you're hoping that they're getting back more and more bodies and more and more fitness mm-hmm. um, here after you know missing, like you said, a lot of players in week one and still finding a way to get a win on the road. I mean, that's just why that win against the Red Bulls was so big as you go now for three points against Orlando city, two of the only three teams from the East that sporting will face all year long. Might as well rack up some points against them while you can. And of course uh, we're going to take the air on Friday night at six o'clock. Um, the game's being listed as a six thirty kick, but I think it's gonna be a little after that. So we'll have a, a pretty extended pregame show hosted by, Ali Trost, which will be a lot of fun on Friday night. So you'll be there pre and post. I will. I'll be there pre and post game. And we've got SKC Media Day on Wednesday. So hope to get some good interviews and mm-hmm. sound that we'll play during the pregame show. Maybe an exclusive one-on-one with Peter Vermees from Nate. Some keys to the game. We'll have you covered with everything you need to know ahead of the match. Lineups. Uh, just setting the scene, too, because anyone that's not going to you know, be out at the game, uh, and it is a select crowd, it's not at full capacity, so I'll try to set the scene the best I can and share what CMP is looking like on uh, the first game day of the 2021 season. And then post-game, of course, me, Dave Borchardt, and Chad Reynolds on the final whistle immediately after the kick. And me, Jacob, and Carter on the call on Friday night. Should be a lot of fun. Our thanks to John Polskamp for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Allie, as always. And reminder, we're presented by Michelob Ultra. Grab yourself a delicious Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. We'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.